0: Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast, episode 45. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com, joined by Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. And our very special guest this week is Yanis Katsis from Garraway Capital Management. Welcome, gentlemen.
1: Morning. Morning.
0: Morning, Yanis. Tell us a bit about yourself.
2: Well, thank you, first of all, for having me. Um, I suppose, apart from being a proud father of three, and uh, uh, I am a... Um, member of Garraway Capital Management, which is basically a, a boutique fund management business. It's been going for three years, uh, just over three years. Um, I head up the business development side for the company and uh, I sort of spend most of my time running around the, the U.K., uh meeting with uh, sort of like-minded individuals something about uh, what we do at Garraway.
0: not literally running around obviously because like i mean some people are into the fitness and cycling to work and stuff but you so you don't actually run around do you
2: <laughs> no i don't mind a brisk walk but yeah from from where i live in hampshire to uh, to sort of manchester is probably a bit of a stretch <laughs> right yeah
0: i think so <laughs>
2: no but and, and obviously I, I guess the um The reason uh, I've uh, got to know you both, and uh, and you know, for inviting me on, is probably our our mutual respect and knowledge of uh, trend following, which is one of the strategies that um, uh, that we manage. Uh, I've been involved in trend following on and off for about sort of ten years, um, and been spending probably an increasing amount of my time over the last, I'd say, three years um very much focused on that strategy and, and sort of just talking to, you know, the UK market um about what trend following is all about, um and also, you know, you know, how people can use them in, in portfolios and this sort
0: of thing. So it wasn't Tim's sense of humor then that got you onto the podcast? <laughs> well, <laughs>
1: well that as well
2: fantastic writing of which I'm very envious and by the way Tim I did have a full eight hours sleep last night I I did see your yesterday so I made I made absolutely
1: sure I was in I was in bed and asleep at 10 o'clock but anyway that won't won't be the last reference to sleep I suspect during right because because I don't know what that's
0: all (laughs) about so we're gonna have to explain that a bit later on in the podcast
1: (laughs) but just just to go just to go back a a sec for the benefit of um, those people who may not be uh, familiar or or, or as familiar with the strategy could you sort of give us sort of like a an idiot it's guide introduction to what to what trend following is yes very
2: happily um, as you say it it can i mean it can come across as being sort of quite sophisticated and and it is you know but but broadly speaking it's quite simple if stuff's been going up we're going to be long if stuff's been going down for a sustained amount of time we're going to be short and i think where people struggle with the the sort of it's not an asset class a strategy i suppose which has been around for a hell of a long time now um, is they can't really relate its performance to, you know, cause we're all obsessed with anchoring. You know, it's just one of the behavioral flaws we've got. We always try and relate, you know, when you're looking at a strategy, oh, how's it done against, you know, this benchmark or the FTSE or whatever it might be. And so I think that's part of my struggle, if you like, when I'm out there talking to people is, is to say, look, you, you've got to try and stop yourself from doing that because, we trade a whole, we're multi-asset, we trade all sorts of things um, around the world. But essentially, yeah, a trend-following strategy is, is, as the name suggests, it just follows trends. And it doesn't really care whether it's, um, most of them are systematic, the big ones are systematic trend followers. So there's a uh, an algorithmic sort of model, which people straight away get quite nervous of. They say, oh, it's a machine. It's like, well, no, no, it's not really. It's Think of it like a calculator that just helps us run numbers really quickly, removes human error from the process. And um, essentially, you know, we then place the trades um, accordingly. It helps us to manage risk more effectively and basically takes the human emotion out of trading. And, you know, in its simplest form, systematic trend following does something that basically doesn't really exist in most people's portfolios. And and I hasten to add that, you know, us three, you know, we're, we're based in the UK. This is very much... Um a sort of asset class. I think that's still new to the sort of wealth management, you know, sort of client-facing sort of community. The institutional investors have been the biggest supporters of um CTAs, as which is an, an acronym that's rolls off the tongue a bit more easily than saying trend following every five minutes. I think. So that's a, an acronym that's stuck. And um and um, you know, and and institutions have been using them for for decades. Um, but I think. You've got to be able to explain what it is that you do in a way that people can understand. And um they have been known historically as being a bit black box, a bit opaque. And um, obviously, we're just trying to change that, really.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's a very good point. I mean, there there are some what are known as black box systems out there. And mm. to uh, to differentiate between the two, a black box system is a trading system that you literally plug in some data and it it's made some arcane type of calculations, comes out with whether you should buy or sell or do nothing. And the user doesn't necessarily know very much about what those calculations are because it's been designed by a and other and sold on to another person. Um, the difference with trend following is that the people who who actually use trend following systems know exactly what they're doing. They, they could unpick... Hmm. It, they could they would know exactly where the signals are coming in. The only reason why they're using a um a system is because it it just makes it simpler rather than sitting and calculating whether the market's broken a new you know thirty day high or thirty day low by reading the bars. Yeah. you just have the computer tell you the market's broken a thirty day low and, and then we add this position with this amount of risk and and add to it at this point and then move our stop from here to here so the actual signals are very, very simple. And then you just use, the, you know, the computer to take out the the kind of simple grunt work of of calculating, you know, which markets you get into, i.e. how correlated you are. So if you've got two markets that are trading with very high correlation, um, you basically don't want to add an extra trade in in one because you're just adding it to another that you may already have. So... The whole process is relatively simple, um, it, but it, I, I guess one of the problems, or one of I, I guess I, another word for problem is the uh, characteristics of trend following is that it does go through periods of drawdowns, and that's but that's expected, and it's how clients react to that that uh, that can can vary.
2: And it's a, that's a very good point. One thing we always say to people is CTAs trend following, if I say CTA, it's the same thing, but you know, CTAs they are, you know, historically uncorrelated to equities or to traditional markets, equities, and bonds, and they're incredibly liquid as well. Now, if you're uncorrelated, you when, when you look at it over the, the longer term, so there's various indices you can look at, some of them go back to the sort of 80s and possibly even earlier than that, and there are records of CTAs going back to the sort of early 1900s, but and just people just don't really understand it or want to understand it.
0: Is that right? But the point but, is that why don't that, why yeah, don't they, we? Well, because it's so simple.
2: Well, I, well it, it it is, but not in the way the industry's been been built. I suppose I don't really. I mean, I've only really been in this industry for ten years, in the sense of on this side of the fence. If that makes sense.
1: I, I I'm, think, I'm I'm so, I'm sorry, to drop down. I think the reason why people are either a little scared of CTAs or commodity trading advisors, which is a sort of US mm-hmm. term because it's the way they're regulated in of the sort of futures exchanges in in the States. I think the reason people are either scared of them or simply ignorant of them is in part because their origin is in the form of hedge funds. And because hedge funds, offshore, lightly regulated vehicles cannot be marketed to retail investors, there's a sort of an air of mystery and suspicion over the whole sector. I think that's what it comes down
2: to. And you've, you've hit, well, I mean, there's one of numerous nails and you've hit one of them on the head there. I mean, it's funny. The, hedge, the term hedge fund was to hedge your risks. That's, that's where it came from. Yeah. That was the whole premise of them. Unfortunately, a lot of them blew up in 2008. Now, it's no surprise to me that a few years ago, um, I always forget what the acronym stand for, but hopefully everyone will know what I'm talking about. Um, so AIMA and Kaya, um, they got together and they produced a series of papers. I forget what they're titled, but essentially what they were doing is, and like I said, this was literally only a couple of years ago. And they've released these papers essentially aimed at the institutional investment community. And people know them from all over the world. And they basically are saying, these are what hedge funds are all about. You know, a lot of you are carrying some pretty deep scars from 2008. So here's a series of three papers. One of them just talks to you about all the different types of hedge fund strategies out there. It it corrects a lot of sort of misconceptions. Um, about these strategies, about sort of, you know, they used to be seen as almost like private clubs, you know, they were closed, they they could shutter when they wanted to. They had light regulation, as you say, Tim. And actually now with the advent of um, sort of usage three and beyond, a lot of these strategies have been able to, um, you know, be be relaunched effectively into uh, essentially, um, I suppose, a retail wrapper uh, or retail friendly wrapper and um and you know now UCITS is becoming far more uh, recognized globally and um is i mean there was a point i mean <laughs> a few years ago where i would say to people oh this is a UCITS fund and they go oh well, we we can't use UCITS funds we're not allowed i said no no hang on a minute it's not it's not an unregulated collective investment scheme a ukis which is uh, um a sort of abbreviation of um uh, something that was seen as, as you know, fund management, not, not fund management, the intermediary market couldn't really use because they couldn't get, you know, their, their sort of compliance people didn't like them using things that weren't regulated by, you know, the UK regulator, the FCA. So um, anything, so they, but they they didn't really know what USITS meant and it's, um, uh, but, you know, it, it's a sort of recognised means of regulating, it's a regulatory framework within which, you know, funds can sit. And so now you, you do have CTA's, you do have long short funds, you have all sorts of hedge fund strategies. And the point is, these papers are there to say, look, this is what the, these hedge funds are all about. They are more regulated now, they're, they're transparent, uh, they're running you know, things for regulated exchanges, et cetera. Um, and this is how you can use them in portfolios. And I think for them to have to say that, someone like ayman Kai have got a, far more, you know, know a lot more people than I do, and they can read things better than I can um, as one person running around the uk as i say they could probably see that do you know what in the last 10 years basically people haven't needed these types of strategies because everything's just gone up so maybe they've lost maybe not the skill but maybe they have bought into this hedge funds are dodgy risky they're offshore you know i I, i'm never going to understand them they're systematic black box blah 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 and so they just they just naturally have this um the sort of defensive barriers already up before you even you've even picked up the phone, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so yeah, and and the other issue we've got in the UK is a lot of people, and I'm, I'm conscious as a podcast, and you know people from overseas might hear this. So, you know, over here there's there's loads of barriers to entry, and I mean I'm talking very much here the sort of ground up intermediary type market, but sometimes even the and, and I, I say that, but then I correct myself because even the institutional market, the sort of big pension funds and so on. I mean, I've met trust. I won't, say, you know, I've met trust companies where, um, you know, they're they're running big pension schemes or whatever, and and the team of trustees that run the scheme, hardly any of them have any finance experience. I mean, it's it's quite shocking when you when you hear these things, and then you think, well, how do you know what to invest in? And so we we'll we bring in a consultant, and the thing is that whether you're an intermediary sort of well, by that what I mean is an investment advisor or a wealth manager or whatever, and then you you, you know that could also mean you know, you're you're a big you know a trustee on a big pension fund or or, or whatever. Um, you know you you need some outside, so sometimes they will use some outside help, and it will be in the form of a consultant or but you're forming some sort of ratings agency. And you know a lot of these guys um don't want to, you know they'll only use uh, funds from the biggest houses, which is fine. Um, and they're very much aware of, I suppose, their own reputations uh, of risk. Um, they obviously know that if they put something on a list that says, you know, this is approved for all of our clients to use, a lot of, you know, AUM is going to follow that. And so they've got to be wary that, you know, those fund managers can cope with that sort of size. And the thing is what it does is it, it, uh, it's, you know, with with the sort of more retail consultants, they don't tend to look at hedge funds. They tend to stick to sectors, um, which over here, we have the investment association, we have, you know, a sector for UK equity income, a sector for, you know, fixed income, various types of fixed income. And there's a sector for, you know, targeted absolute return uh, funds. But it's such a mixed bag of funds, um, most of which are very low volatility, most of which are sort of longshore equity plays. I mean, some of them might be market neutral, but essentially they're, they're just trading equity. So they're going to be very correlated to equities. And, and when I sort of try and speak to some agencies like that about CTAs, Again, it's it's very difficult to sort of, um, I suppose, get them to to look at these, and it, a lot of it's client led as well. So they they'll only look at something esoteric as they might see it um, if the client requests it. So one of the pe- people paying for the consultancy fee. My job really is just to educate the communities, you know, about CTAs in general, about trend following, just to say to them, look, you know things have moved on a bit we're actually very open as a community if you come and see us we'll tell you how things you know work and you know get you comfortable with what we're doing basically um and it is it is just getting out there seeing people and and saying look this is a strategy that's been around for a long time there's so a lot of um sort of academic reports there that, that discuss the subject there's books that have been written on it and this is why one of the reasons why i wanted to do the podcast i suppose because tim you you, something you said a few weeks or a few months ago resonated with me which you said um you know trend following his finances best kept secret and any and and i suppose it shouldn't be really because he's got a pretty good track record it's just that i think people generally haven't needed it for the last um maybe 10 years or so um
0: so basically when the markets go up and i find this with technical analysis when generally with technical analysis research when the markets go up everybody just focuses on the so-called fundamentals because most people are geared towards the market rising then when the market starts to turn down and the fundamentals don't invert commas match what the price action's doing then people suddenly say oh it's a very technical market or they turn more to technical analysis uh for, for that purposes so you see these waves of uh, of you know When the market goes down, suddenly people are looking more at technicals because nothing really makes sense, inverted commas, to them. By Mm. the same token, what you're saying with trend following, because it's um, not correlated to the stock market purposely, because it has many assets under its its sort of style of trading, um, it's purposely uncorrelated to it. And therefore, when investors are making money just long only, and the vast majority, I would guess, are, they have no need to turn to another um, asset or, or way of trading. Mm. But then when volatility picks up, as in now and going forward, and perhaps if we enter into a bear market, which is very possible within the next sort of six to 12 and how you, big sorry are...
1: paul you, you sorry paul you don't think we're, we're in one already
0: well i do i do think we are <laughs> uh i, I th- we can it's come a ser- on- serious questions yeah question. yeah 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 no i mean it, it is i i think i think we are but it's um so, something's just niggling at me with this w- with the amount of people that are you know, calling this the top and it's it's just it's just worrying me that we might go for one last move up i think i might have mentioned it a couple of you know on the last podcast that we may go for one last move up but either this is it or one more move and this is it so i know that might might not sound too helpful but it 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 basically means that within we'll have it resolved within the next six months and we'll know pretty quickly whether if we break like 20 you know 2400 2450 in the s&p it's it's now you know don't wait but You know, there's the European equity markets have fallen, haven't really recovered. The DAX is down properly as we were looking for. Um, Everything seems to have turned. The last markets that we're waiting to turn, you know, the US markets have turned now, but it's just a sheer weight of bearishness that I'm getting from, from everybody um, saying, this is it, you know, this is the top. And I, I don't ever remember that in 2008. Um, 2007, See, this is
2: all, yeah, I'm sorry to cut across there. It's for me, I I kind of joined the industry, well, I joined the team that set up Garraway, of which, you know, I'm one of them, and met Darren, who runs our um, CTA strategy. And it, it's, it's thanks to him that I've learned as much as I have. And, and, and a lot of things like 2008, and I look at the tech bubble, and we talk about these things and have slides on presentations and all that sort of stuff. But it's different, I think, when someone's doing like a CFA, which um, you know it's like a it's like a history lesson. You look at a two thousand eight, you look at the number, it says, "Wow, that's a big downside number, and oh two thousand to two thousand and three that was that was that must have been challenging. It's one thing seeing it on a chart, and it's another thing living through it i th- I think
0: um, just on just on that point, Yanis, I, I just like you, you have no idea what it feels like or investors now have no idea what it feels like to not know whether the banks are literally gonna open or not. And the sheer panic that you have, that it's just completely and utterly palpable everywhere where you just, it's just the not knowing where things are gonna go next, that you just can't explain. And that's the beauty of charts in many ways, because what you're trying to do is make a rational trading decision using the market signals that's why trend following works so well because you may get a signal to buy or a signal to sell when there is completely the opposite sentiment on the street but i think the worry here for me is that and you know tim and i have discussed this quite often that the point we are at in history right now is that We've gone through the deregulation of the banking system. We've gone through the merging of all the banks because the bigger you are, the more profit you made. We've gone through the buildup of debt that has occurred by governments during some of the most prosperous years that we've ever had. We've gone through crises that have been um, combated by dropping interest rates, by doing unconventional quantitative easing. We've gone through all of that. And we're still at a point where people are saying that the banks are okay and they're not. The charts are showing that they have barely moved up, you know, and that is a worry, given what everything else has done so this next crisis has to be far bigger than anything we've seen before, and that could include nineteen twenty nine to nineteen thirty two so what strategy is going to work in in the big one, and it can only be? Sure it can only be something that's completely uncorrelated. And because the only thing that's going to go up is volatility and that's it. Everything else is pr- pretty much um, going to go down. I mean, gold may go up. We would have to see. Um, it depends how people invert commas panic or what they feel has the most value. But certainly there's going to be a down wave that's, Bigger than anything we've ever seen before, and 2008 was pretty hairy. I mean, that was we were on the brink with many banks. I don't know how they're going to solve that problem if that's what we're faced with again. Um, it it seems it seems a difficult one to to answer. But if you think about it, we were in a position where they managed to deal with it last time. It's not impossible for this to happen again. And
1: yeah, but when, when Paul, when you say deal with it, what we're really talking about is that the deal was was a sort of a deal of such high quality as, say, Theresa May's supposed Brexit deal. It was dealing by not dealing at all. Yeah. It's a bit like saying that, uh, you know, the, the QE never failed. It's just, it's like socialists. We didn't do it. We didn't have enough of it. Yes. Um, yes.
0: I mean, they didn't. Do, and, you're absolutely right. They didn't deal with it at all. They just, they basically just chucked a load of money at it, let it filter through the system. And, it kind of it's been okay, you know that nothing is nothing particularly bad has happened, but it has certainly hasn't solved the problem. And
1: I mean, I th- I think the, the the reason why certainly we use trend followers as part of our approach, and I think the reason why anybody any investor should consider using them is 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 if for no other reason, it expands your opportunity set. If you accept mm. the general thesis that you know the the average investor or the average wealth manager advisor sort of is still bagging this drum of sort of 60-40, the sort of 60% equity, 40% bond portfolio with mm-hmm. basically a completely cursory allocation to anything outside those asset classes. The beauty of trend following, whatever the future returns, we know the historic returns have been pretty decent, albeit with you know occasional drawdowns that have lasted some time in some cases. The beauty of the trend following proposition is that, it just massively magnifies your opportunity set it gives you access to markets like you know not just indices but interest rates soft commodities hard commodities currencies and the average investor otherwise will never have any exposure to any of those markets
0: yeah and so and certainly at the you know at the time when they should have it's the time when they won't, like the, the most and exactly, important time. And, exactly, yeah. and,
1: not, and not just that, but it also enables them to profit from down moves as well as up moves, whereas the traditional, the conventional portfolio can only ever benefit from a bull market.
2: Yeah. There's, there's, there's lots of things to say on that. I mean, 2014 was, was a pretty benign year for equities, but it was a massive year for CTAs. But people, again, they didn't need them because they didn't lose money that year. But, well, why not have the upside? Well, what drove that? Well, basically, the dollar absolutely flew in the last quarter of 14. And that drove loads of trends. Obviously, you know, US catches a cold, everyone benefit you know, suffers soon after. And likewise, if the dollar flies, it's gonna it's gonna cause ripples. And so you've got all these big geopolitical problems that you know we're bored of talking about, but we know they're not going away and they're getting worse. It's not Italy, it's the trade war with you know US and China. And then as you alluded to, Paul. There's more debt than there. I mean, two thousand and eight was a debt crisis, and there's three times more debt than there was then. So what's been solved, we've just got more debt in a rising yield environment. how How is that not going to cause ripples? You know how 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 is that even possible? Of course, it's going to cause um something to happen, but you you won't know what. you won't know what the trigger is. and And I don't personally and from talking to colleagues and clients I meet, you know, I can't see how it'd be like a two thousand and eight um sort of one year and it, and it's done bear market. And I know everyone threw everything at it, but I just see it being a lot more prolonged because of the amount of debt in the system. And to your point, Tim, on how, you know, the 60-40 portfolio and things like this, you know, when you get regulation involved, it, it drives a lot of process in, in people's businesses. And I've seen that changing over the last 10 years. And so when you have your sort of, um, you know, you, you're relying on, um model portfolios sometimes that which are purchased off the shelf which are run by somebody else or whether you're building them yourself you have to work within some sort of framework and the starting point a lot of the time is is um someone else's asset allocation model and it will say okay you're you're this level risk so you deserve, you should have this much in 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 equities and this much in in bond in very simplistic terms and i mean you know one thing that worries us and your um sort of mutual contact mike um was on one of your podcasts um i think during the world cup he was talking about the corporate debt market and i was looking at um so the the wma is the wealth management association and they they have indices that a lot of wealth managers follow they're now called the msci wma um like we need another acronym to in our industry (laughs) but whatever and um and the thing is, when you when you look at the conservative portfolio for for that, it's, it's quite interesting to me because, you know, you're looking for certain triggers or, you know, what what could change the wall of passive money from being buyers of everything to suddenly, not even selling but sort of re reweighting because an asset allocation model has told them to do it. You know, things like um, I don't know who who it was that drove it, but um, just changing t- tax slightly, there was a reclassification of of um. Was it Netflix? I think um, recently, or, or, or in various stock indices, I think there was a new industry sector created.
1: Think um, it was reclassified as small cap value. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe. <laughs> but the point is that the the amount
2: of activity that was generated off the back of that reclassification, and it's you know unintended consequence. It you know it causes a lot of movement in, in markets. But but with these, po- the, the the point going back to these. These models, a lot of people use them, and, and 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 sometimes they don't even run them themselves, and they all look very similar to each other. So this conservative portfolio for this MSCI WMA, you know, 40% is bonds, but they actually break it down into four subsectors, and 25% of it is supposed to be corporate bonds, corporate debt. So I look at that and I think to myself, okay, you know, we we worry about who owns all the corporate debt in the world, which isn't. Hasn't got the, the same credit rating as it used to have. It's been declining gradually over the years. We've we've all read stories about, you know, the, the sort of triple B and what would happen if it dips into junk status for a bit. Of, you know, the pension funds, everyone becomes a seller, and you know, how's a corporate uh, sort of daily traded ETF that that holds corporate debt? Um, how's that going to cope? And and it only needs really one blue chip uh, to go under. Whether that's a, um, you know, like I said, an ETF suspending or. Um, or like I said, a, a a company, um, a big blue chip sort of go, going bust or something that they could create that fear, um, against the backdrop of what you've been saying, Paul, which is a, a growing bearishness in the market. I mean, everyone I speak to is pretty bearish. They're not all necessarily doing something about it though. Um, and you know, as we know in this industry, a lot of people don't get paid for holding cash for clients. they might say, build up cash separately, but you know for the money they manage for people. Um, you know there's only so much cash they can hold, I guess. so so, so you know you, you sort of question well, you know if you if you're worried about things and you're looking to take profits, maybe look for something that you've not used before because you know look look outside the box, as it were. Um, and I suppose you know that that's the sort of conversations i'm I'm trying to have with people.
0: It's fair to say though that um, trend following works when the market goes up as well. It's just that it may not necessarily outperform long only. That that's that's the only difference. It's it's not it's not just for bear markets. Exactly.
2: Uh, I mean, you know, we and and different CTAs, they're not all the same. You know, I mean, I keep saying to people, look, you wouldn't go and buy one equity fund, you wouldn't go and buy one bond fund, or one stock if you're a stockbroker or one. Issuance of a bond, you know, you, you'd buy different ones. You would try and diversify. It was the same with with trend followers. We're not all the same. I mean, don't get me wrong. In a in a in a two thousand and eight, you can pretty much, you know, bet that they're all going to be in the same direction at some point because markets are moving at to such a degree. But it's 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 what happens when that's not happening. When you don't get those stre- extreme, sorry, that can be, you know. Create differences in performance, shorter term, and um, so we had a really good 2016. Most CTAs didn't. For example, we subsequently in 17 didn't have as strong a year as uh, some of our peers. But we never go out there and say to people, "Oh no, you know, you should buy our fund or whatever." We just say, "No, actually, if you can, you should buy more than one because they are very different." And as 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 Tim said, you know, we there are such a range of markets that we can trade. We have more of a currency, stock index, and government bond focus. Others have more commodity focus, and so just by virtue of the markets we trade, you you know you should use or you try and diversify. And um, as long as you can understand what the manager's doing, and I think you know that's something we're really good at. For example, and and we we've got better at it. Don't get me wrong. We didn't you know in the beginning. I think. you know, it was, it was very different. And, you know, we've learned things along the way. I mean, I remember one conversation with a, with a consultant that works with sort of a handful of firms. And he said to me, oh, I think the first response I got when I picked up the phone to him was, oh, you know, Yanis, I don't buy black box, you know, typical response I'm used to. And I said, well, hang on a minute, you're assuming that you're never going to understand this and that I'm never going to be able to explain it to you. And I can assure you, if you give me an hour, we could probably get through this. And you'll pretty much understand how it works. The issue beyond that is, because I've told a lot of people about how it works, but then they go and they say, yeah, but the market did this and you did that. And you say, well, hang on, wait a minute. Tell me what market you're anchoring to right now. What are you thinking?
0: What, what do you mean by just just to explain that sorry what do you mean the market did this and you did that they they so they're looking at like apple or something say so, well apple went up and you did or or, well, maybe or the s&p
2: yeah probably something like an index so they'll probably right. anchor so i would i would almost challenge them and say well, not challenge them but just ask the question because it's because you know we trade um a wide range of markets and we can be long short and actually in our strategy we can be neutral as well so you know So with that, it's like, well, if your if your idea is to say, well, the FTSE did this or the S&P did this last month and you did that, i.e. you didn't make money or you lost money and it made money or or whatever, um, then, you know, it's like I've got to say to them, you know, what what market are you talking about? You know, and usually it's going to be a stock market. Um, And so then you've got to say, well, we may not even have a position in that market. You know, we might be short. We, you know, or we might be long. It, you cannot, it, and this is the problem because everyone tries to relate. Mm. This is this is people. I say everyone. I say people that are new to the asset. Well, sorry, I keep doing that. Asset class. It's not an asset class. It's a strategy. But you know, um, they um, they they try, as we all do, to relate um, the performance of the strategy to other things. Now, if you're dealing with a guy that knows CTA's insider now he only really needs to understand broadly how your strategy works and then looks at your numbers compared to others, like our peers effectively. And then he knows that we're different. And so he might say, okay, well, I'm looking to blend you with others. But for guys that have never come across it or maybe it's the first or second time that they're properly looking at it, um, you know, they do have this um, natural, um, you know, uh, behavioral thing that they do, which is to say, you know, um, I'm trying to understand how this works in relation to something else. And if that something else is your long only stuff, then there's no point in even thinking that way because you're never going to understand it on that basis. What you need to do is, is I I've sometimes joked with uh, people because obviously we do say and show people what we've made and lost money and, and, and we put it on our fact sheet and stuff like that. But most of the time people don't really read fact sheets. They look they have their own electronic systems, Bloomberg or whatever it might be over here. They use FE Analytics is called or Morningstar Workstation, and so they just they they and they load their portfolios onto that, and they have their watch list, and they just look at the numbers. They don't necessarily go in and read the commentary, and that's where we sort of say, you know, this is what's happened in the month, this is where we've made money. Here's our top three winners, our bottom three losers. If you want any more info, let us know. And you know, and so we we you know we we are open to telling people how how it all works, and um, but you know, you've got to uh, I think try and um understand um, why the funds perform the way it does otherwise what will happen is what's happened a lot you know you get a wall of money coming in after a 2008 when we've made we smashed the ball out of the park and then that's exactly the wrong time to be buying them you know because the best way to use a CTA is to scale in when they're I mean this is historically speaking I've read studies on this is, is usually to sort of scale in when they're losing money or in drawdown as you say Paul and then maybe taking profits as as they're making money, basically, and the idea is you're using it, so you're sort of naturally rebalancing um across your portfolio. so if, if we're if we're saying in two thousand and eight we're we're making money and stocks are getting hammered, you're taking the profits out of that and reallocating to your stocks, you know, buying them cheaper, I suppose, yeah, and then you're, you're rebalancing your portfolio that way. so that's the
0: best way to use them and if, and well, okay, can I just cut in on that because I think you've got to be very careful about doing that as well because whilst that has it's very difficult to explain to people about recent market history and what that means to how you react to it um in other words if we are in or very close to within the next six to 12 months the biggest bear market that we have ever seen that strategy Mm. isn't going to work because you're going to pull your Mm. you're going to you're going to look at the the performance of so-called cta's trend followers at a certain point, say, all oh, right, okay, now you're outperforming. I'm going to pull my money out and put it into stocks. Well, you might do that, but the stocks might continue to go down by another 10, 20, 30%, maybe even more. And so yeah. that has worked in the past. What's What I love about markets is that as soon as you think you know how they're going to react, they do something that completely changes your view of that. In other words, there's it it's always new. There's always something new t- to happen, even though we have got past data, even though we have seen certain drawdowns, even though people think 2008 was the biggest drawdown. And if they can survive that, they put that into their models. And so they think, well, this is the worst case scenario. The market's always there to prove you wrong. And therefore what rings in my head is Ronnie Sterfully's comments uh, a few podcasts ago where he says, you've got to be careful about being a trend follower of trend following because you can end up then not enjoying the gains that you've waited for. You're waiting for this to bear fruit and it can perform sort of adequately or underperform at certain points. But there's that, that, point where it's going to smash everything completely out of the park you know everything and if you are getting ready to pull the trigger on taking your money out then you'll be in a position where you're you're kind of undermining your own strategy the point of being in trend following is to is to be there and let the trend tell you when to get out don't try and get out because you think it's gone too far because there's no such thing as too far um so it's it is a strategy that i've heard for many years people using and it's probably worked but always be aware that there's that one time and it's that one time that catches everybody out um the black swan theory that that talib talks about applies beautifully to this it's like this it's the one time when you think this isn't going to happen or it's very unlikely and then it does and you're like okay um you, you, psychologically, you'll be caught in a position whereby you may have exited, you may have gone back into equities, and then you're staring at equities, saying, "Gosh, these are really oversold. When are they going to bounce?" Whilst the trend followers are just, you know, still, still with their short positions and making money, and it's very, very difficult to jump out uh, and back in once you've exited. That's just—it's mm-hmm. just too hard to do that. So, so I, I just think if you're going to if you're going to get into trend following, get into it, understand it properly right at the beginning, because it's not hard. It's, it's, it's relatively simple. Markets will most of the time go in a range, but sometimes they trend. And when they trend, they trend hard, and that's the time to make money. If you follow lots mm-hmm. of markets and you manage your capital, you will capture those trends. So there will be periods. There's no point looking month to month, because that's not how it works. You're supposed to look every five to 10 years that's and beyond that's that's when it works and what's more important about the trend following strategy is that everything in your life pretty much involves you making money by the markets going up so it'll be your pension it'll be your house it'll be other assets that you've got everything in your life involves the rising market but nothing You've got no cover for the other side. Nothing. Nobody, other than insurance, to cover your house. Nobody's got any cover or very little. So, mm. this is your cover. This is your insurance. Yeah. If you're losing money, well, people lose money by buying insurance all the time. They don't. They don't say, "Well, I shouldn't have done that," because they know the alternative is if something happens. It's happened.
1: a bit like saying, "Yeah, I wish my house had burnt down." Yeah,
0: exactly. It's like, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, but. So that that's the, that's the nature of the strategy. You you it's it's an insurance. Even if you're, um, even if it's not making you money, sometimes that that's the de- that's that's the price you pay for having this cover. It will make money eventually. You just have to wait, get in it, and then don't look at it again, and and stop stop staring at it because it's like it's it's there for a strat. It's like your insurance. You don't look at your insurance policy every day and go, oh, you know, I. have should I have bought this, you know, because my house hasn't burned down, as Tim says. Um, you don't, and that's the point of it.
2: Very sort of, I suppose, simplistically, I, I, I've, I've even said to people, and if you believe there is change coming that doesn't involve markets just going up endlessly, and you believe that, I mean, I know some very big fund managers who've got, you know, you know, macro-economists te- macro and the global strategists out there, and they're really bearish. I mean, clients I speak to say to me, I went to such and such's conference, and I've never heard them so bearish. You're like, well, okay. So, what are you doing about it? And actually, this guy was an investor, but you know. But the point is, you know, there there are guys out there who will hear this and go, "Well, I'm not sure what to do." And I think there is a bit of that going on. Then, and well, you've got to do something different to what you have been doing. That's that's first number one. If you're worried with what you've got, you've got to do something that's different to what you've got. So, what are you going to do? You're not going to get, you know, a lot. As I say, a lot of guys won't build up cash positions beyond a certain level. Um, even some fund managers are actually doing that. I've noticed, like fund of funds and things like that, which is fine.
0: What b- um, building up cash, you say, or, or?
2: Yeah, yeah, building up cash. I mean, you know, I've I've seen. I think this is quite well known that you know, d- depending on the type of strategy, you, you know, you have like uh, fund of fund funds or even some equity funds where they're sort of holding back some cash maybe to take advantage of a downturn or, or better value stocks or, or whatever it might be. Um, and you know, obviously that's, that's their strategy and they want to use cash as a, as a way of being defensive and you know, that's fine. My point is that if if it's all wrong, you know, if, if you do have bonds going down and that's the other thing, you know, people have just, I mean, it, one of, I forget who it was that did it, but there's, um, a chart that talks about, um, you know, the correlation of bonds to to equities. Um, and it just plotted it over, I think it went back to the early 60s. And again, for someone like me who's only really been in the industry, you've always just thought, well, you, your risk-off thing is bonds. So, you, so you, you know, because they're neg- usually negatively correlated. It's the defensive play and so on. So, you have, <laughs> your, 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 you have your, your, um, your equities over here, hence the 60, and then you've got your bonds over here, 40. And you know, they they they're usually have a, an inverse correlation to each other. If you actually go back, though, beyond 10 years ago, and back to, like I say, the sort of 60s is actually the inverse. They swing about quite a lot. But it's just that for some for the last 10 years, that's how the relationship has been working. I mean, it might be changing now, or it may well have changed. So you could quite well, if you're worried about equities falling, you might see that, you know, there's this positive correlation suddenly and bonds are falling as well, or it might be the bonds that cause it all. What have you got in a long-only portfolio that can benefit from the downsides of bonds and equities? Simple as that. Yeah. They're two of the biggest constituent parts of any CTA because they're the two of the biggest markets out there, like in, in an asset class level. You know there's a huge number of equity markets and bond markets, and obviously then you've got commodities and currencies as well, yeah, so
0: um the thing is with correlations is 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 they only work until they stop, and I know that might sound crazy, but it's 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 true it doesn't matter how long something's been going on for. it can stop hmm. in a heartbeat. I mean usually bonds and equities will work in inverse when the economy's functioning. In a normal fashion, if I can use that expression, whatever normal is. But if you take, say, a country like Greece or Italy or, or Spain, when traditionally you had a crisis going on and capital exiting, you see bonds going down because they're selling the bonds. You see the stocks going down because interest rates are going up and they're selling the equities too. So they they can work in inverse and they can be completely correlated as well. And that means that you have to look at the market sort of scenario the, in the the broader market volatility that's going on in any case in, in the broader in the broader picture to see whether that's likely to be the case going forward so there is certainly a, a situation where all bonds could be going down and all stocks could be going down that is that's very possible um, there's no there's no particular you know magic rule there's no magic rule that says anything has to happen in the markets it, because if there was it would be too um how can I put it It, it'd be too too... we'd
1: all all be millionaires
0: well yeah I mean it would be too simple there's no that that's the whole nature of 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 how markets work there's always change the only thing that stays the same is there's change that's it so I remember I've, I've been watching in the early 90s we were watching this amazing correlation between dollar yen and the Nikkei it was you know night and day they were just lockstep together every move and then one day it just suddenly stopped and that was it. And it had been going on for ages and everyone was trading it. And then it just breaks out. There, there used to be a correlation that was the difference between the FTSE and the Dow and used to trade this 500-point difference between the two. So whenever it got over 500 points, you'd basically buy one and sell the other until that that gap was closed. Um, and it, it was traded for for years, years and years. Uh, I can't remember how long, but it was a very long time. Then suddenly, late 90s, the Dow just sort of takes off and the FTSE doesn't. And this, it just widens and widens and widens and makes no sense anymore. And so that's the thing about going in and saying, well, this is your hedge against this. Well, is it? How do you know? You know, what's what's coming around the corner?
2: I mean. I mean, I, I was going to go into earlier, but sometimes I go off on tangents. so Apologies, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, that's what but, this is um, for. Tangents is are great. Yeah, <laughs> but the so yeah, so CTAs, as we say, are, are uncorrelated historically to traditional markets. But when you break down their correlation to those two sort of benchmarks, if you like, um, they never sit still. They're never really at zero correlation. They, they're basically the very highly positively correlated very deeply negatively correlated and funny enough when we're deeply negatively correlated to equities it's usually when you know uh, equities are getting taken out and shot and so we're making a lot of money um and then it all goes you know then, then we have a we have our drawdown when equities are recovering because that's we need to have that adverse move against us so the trend needs to start reverting or going the other way and then that's our signal to get out. And at the end of every trend, a, a CTA is always going to give back a bit. and um and then obviously, if the markets then just carry on to recover, um, then you know we're going to be long as you as you um, said earlier, Paul. but um so we do move in these sort of cycles. and and I, as i I wrote a piece very simplistically earlier in the year because you know it's been a tough year for CTAs this year. Uh, some more than others. And, um, but this has, is you know, this is all within our, you know, modeling. We've, you know, we've seen this sort of thing before. It's all within w- what we would expect. But, you know, whilst the CTA can control its risk at, at sort of trade level. So we know what our risk is. We know what we could make or lose on a trade. Cause obviously we use stops and things like that. But what we can't control is the distribution of winning and losing trades. So if you just happen to have a year like this year where nothing's really trending, I mean, you tell me a market that's trending now, you know, there's not really, I mean, you had the S&P hit an all-time high, it's come off, it's, you know, I don't know where it is today, I haven't looked, but, you know, but most markets, they've kind of hit a peak in January, they sort of uh, fell off um, into early Feb, some of them bounced a bit, and then they've kind of just really just gone into these tight channels and and the thing is it's the same in all the currency markets as yeah, well yeah absolutely. and um and then more recently commodities have come off which is sort of energy oil that sort of thing has come off recently and then that's obviously hurt the guys that have got more commodity exposure didn't hurt us as much but that's because we have a different investment universe you know this goes back to the whole blending thing but when you go back through history and look at ctas ahead of every and this is no way I me mean predicting anything i mean. Things are looking pretty precarious. I think there's a lot of problems that could, a lot of triggers out there. Whether they'll follow through, we'll see. But um, drawdowns ahead of a um, where, where markets are sort of, you know, going the way they've been going and and not decisionless, essentially, not not trending. That doesn't go on forever, and eventually they do break. And usually, when that happens, CTA's have got time, I suppose, to recalibrate from what was the previous set of trends to what could be coming next and then what when that next phase comes along and the market decides what it's going to be doing then we can basically react to that pretty quickly because the trend follower doesn't turn on a sort of knife edge if you like you know we don't go from long to short overnight Um, we you know you know we're long we might you know we might then gradually get less long depending on the type of strategy and then eventually we turn to we might even go flat and then eventually we'll go short and then short term. I mean, we're 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 slightly different, we're a bit more binary, but you know, let's not talk about all of that. It's just it it's really just to understand that we we um we need to see these sustained trends basically to make money out of them. And if they if they are negative trends that are gonna hurt market beta, then there's no emotion in what we do. We just stay with it. So, you know, if markets go to zero, we're going to be short basically the whole time. Um, but, um, um, but, and, and like you said, when things fundamentally don't make sense anymore, that is our, that's like our Super Bowl, because at that point, everyone's throwing the towel and going, right, it doesn't make sense anymore. I'm getting out. And then that just is like fuel to the fire, as it were.
0: That That's um, the time when all the value stocks start to look even more yeah. valuable, because if, as Tim will tell us if you've done your your research on your your, your value stocks and it's throwing out money basically, it's p- paying a dividend and and uh, and will continue to do so. The fact that the price is cheaper is ends up being a, a longer term opportunity which is why i think tim's strategy is so so fascinating it's not often you or oh, i don't know of anyone else who does that i mean clearly they might they may be somebody but anyone else who's got value and trend following in in the same setup
1: mm. i mean de- dealing with investor expectations is 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 part is one of the most difficult aspects of this uh touching on what um Giannis was saying a little a little while ago in terms of uh, what way to say why why doesn't it work or we we're, we're doing the right things, but it takes time and all this kind of stuff the way I describe it as a a, a multi asset investor uh, in other words just diversified is you know look there's, there's there's two aspects to this 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 business there's a process and there's an outcome we can control the process we cannot control the outcome at least in the short term so you, you i think everybody needs to have some kind of process so otherwise you're just you're just wildly speculating but Basically you have a, a, a thought out policy, you have a strategy or or multiple strategies, you implement them and then and then frankly, you know, what, what ultimately happens is in the lap of the gods. But either the strategy makes sense or it doesn't. But anything outside that is is, is simply is simply is simply gambling.
0: But what you're doing um in both cases is you're saying, okay, if the markets if the markets go up, they go up. And we have a strategy, but the markets go down. We also have a strategy. We have a strategy that. Well, like, takes like you say, say in. it's like, insurance.
1: It's insurance.
0: Yeah, but it, but it's, but it's part of your strategy. Whereas most strategies are just like, well, we're going to buy something and hope that it goes
1: up. I think it also comes down to framing to the extent that I mean, I, I would love to know just how indexation and and index benchmarking got got to the role of significance they they currently enjoy because. From my perspective, and it may be that i'm I'm a little bit of an oddball, but from my perspective, with my money and with client money, the reference rate, the hurdle rate that I'm trying to outperform is cash or or inflation. It is not any given index. It is virtually impossible to beat an equity index because the market is fairly efficient. It's not necessarily rational, but it's fairly efficient. Why on earth do so many managers, and these are we're talking basically the lion share, of the entire institutional fund management market why on earth are all of these guys trying to beat some i would call completely arbitrary benchmark when you know arbitrary benchmarks don't pay the rent you cannot take a negative albeit relatively good return relative to the index you cannot take a loss to the bank why why i mean i don't understand why every investor on the planet isn't an absolute return investor but nearly all of them are index relative it just, it's madness
0: so that's so. Just to put that in layman's terms, Tim, what you're basically saying is that when the markets go up, they try. say the markets go up by ten percent. The index goes up by ten percent. They try and
1: to get at least ten percent. They
0: try to get at least ten percent, and if they outperform, then bully for them. But yeah, then, exactly. if the market goes down thirty percent, then if they go they're down, they're
1: only down twenty.
0: They're only down twenty. It's like round of applause. And they think
1: they've done a great job. Exactly. Look at yeah. us. You
0: know. Yeah. 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 So so that that's the point. Um,
1: I don't, I'm just curious as to how that mindset infected the the asset management universe because it's it, it's completely pervasive and it's completely dangerous because it's not it's not fit for purpose. It only works in bull markets. Even then, most managers will not beat the index because of simply because of the cost of fees. It's virtually impossible. So I, I just wonder how it's possible to reframe the entire debate and everyone just gets down from this, I can do, you know, it's like a sort of pissing contest, I can do better than you can, or I can do better than the market. That's not the point. I honestly don't think the average investor really wants that. I think the average investor, and that's a sweeping generalization, I think the average investor wants a decent return, and they do not want their money seriously jeopardized in bear markets. But that's not how people are invested. Everyone's on a, nearly everyone's on a kind of, well, I'm a sort of MSCI slash JP Morgan bond type blended benchmark these guys are going to get annihilated when you know the 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 great correction the great perhaps inflationary correction comes because equities i think we would probably concede let's just say on average on balance look a little overvalued or or, or very overvalued as a whole and bonds are great still grotesquely overvalued that is a nightmare that is a complete nightmare for 60 40
2: and then throwing the fact that a lot of the money is passively managed
1: Oh, uh, which is sort of compounding the problem because now, in addition to this whole index-relative nonsense, you've now got a situation whereby everyone—or uh, not everyone, but a lot of people—have are, are swallowed this line wholesale. Which is, and I think it's because we had a 10-year bull market. It's like, well, why try and why try and outperform using expensive funds? Why not just get the cheapest thing available? But cheapness in asset management terms is—it's no guarantee of anything. It's just cheap. I mean, you can buy a, uh, a mini Metro or you can buy a Rolls Royce, but you know, you're know you not comparing apples with apples.
0: So just to, just to put that in layman's terms.
1: I think uh, I have grave reservations about the amount of money that is managed globally on an index relative basis. So in other words, uh, let's take the equity market. MSCI World is probably the prevailing benchmark for equity market investors, long only equity market investors. and And MSCI World of MSCI world is the US stock market. So if you're a global manager um, and your your benchmark, your your reference hurdle rate is MSCI world, you basically have to have at least 60% of your portfolio in the US market, whether you like it or not. Now, the average sort of index investor will be plus or minus the benchmark, but they're not going to deviate from it very far because otherwise they're going to lose their job. So, you've got all this money. We're talking trillions of dollars managed on an index relative basis. But, you know, I mean, as a value guy, I would be saying this. But who? Why? Which universal law? When did this suddenly become a universal law? The idea that we must all perform relative to an index. The index doesn't care. The index doesn't care about you or me or your pension fund. The index is just going to do what the market does. How about skewing things to more of an absolute return focus whereby you? You may potentially miss some of the upside, but that's fine as long as you capture some of it. But if you can avoid a lot of the downside, happy days.
0: The cheap ways of, of just being long only, though, that, that's what I meant by how, how, do, how would people, how does that manifest itself? What, what, what are people doing this?
1: But it's ETFs. It's ETFs. It's Vanguard Group. So the way I look at the, the asset management universe, and this, this incorporates alternative strategies as well as conventional ones, is you've got, you know, you've got your bell curve everything on and it's not necessarily even starting in the middle but everything on one side on the left-hand side of the bell curve is basically going to end up with vanguard because you cannot compete with that firm if you compete on fees with a not-for-profit business at least in the states you're going to lose your business they're going to eat your breakfast lunch and tea and supper and a midnight snack so they are going to own that so we're now only looking at the whatever the size of it is the right-hand side of the curve where you've got active managed where you've got people hopefully contributing what is what is known in the trade as alpha, sort of value add. And that's active management, and it's going to be higher cost. It's going to be higher cost than certainly Vanguard and the ETF providers. Now, you, you can agree or disagree with that thesis, but I would argue that between the two, between the, the, the low-cost ETFs, and I'm not dissing ETFs, I'm just saying they, they're not the, the perfect solution. They're not the, you know, the, the palliative to, to all ills. You've got ETF low-cost left. You've got high cost active, higher cost active on the right, but hopefully they, they add value too. But then you've got a no man's land in the middle of stuff that isn't of any value to anything. It's neither man nor beast. It's basically quasi-index trackers. And these are basically just parasites living off the fact that some investors are not that well informed about what's going on in the world. And those businesses all ought to die.
0: I was <laughs> watching a, a report uh, that said that value has bounced back and growth has come off. Have you have you seen that? as that been- Oh, I
1: can I can send you I can send you a chart because I'm I'm putting a um updating our sort of a presentation pack for for sort of a, for for prospective clients at the moment. And so there's a chart of I forget I think it's Russell growth versus Russell value. And these things are, are, are imperfect measures, but you know they're, they're 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 not bad as a starting point. Basically, if you take the chart back to I think it's 2002, value beat growth up until about 2008 and from 2008 growth has completely wiped the floor with value now uh, over the course of the last 6 months or so value's come back into fashion again will it last who knows answers on a postcard but for some of us value is the only thing we're ever going to do anyway so it yeah. doesn't really matter we are willing to we are willing to suffer relative underperformance because for us capital preservation is far more important than trying to game the market trying to beat the market but the thing is we we we're, we're in the minority here we're we're not playing the the game by everyone else's rules.
0: You've got to be very careful about trying to jump around, haven't you? You you
1: exactly. Well, that's the worst thing. That's the absolute worst thing. But there's a, a human temptation to do it. Which, to bring in, you know, Yanis again, this this mm-hmm. will happen with tra- with trend following funds as as with conventional funds. The the worst that the the thing the area we most struggle when we're talking to clients about particularly trend followers and their you know their their apparent lack of returns and their poor performances. There's no real narrative you can offer people. You know when the stock market's not. You know when the stock when stocks are having a bad time, everybody understands the issue. When bonds are having a bad time, people understand the issue. When trend followers are in a sort of sustained period of underperformance, which by the way probably won't be a train crash, it'll simply be fairly modest losses. Um, then people go, well, what, what have these guys done for me lately? And it's very difficult to answer that question because you're you're basically saying, look, there have not been a sufficient number of strong trends. That's, That's so clever, you can Tim. Really say. That's all he can really say. But this is no what narrative. I struggle so, with. So I think yeah. this is why the industry, is, the sector, is, is has not been as successful as it perhaps ought because it fails to answer that narrative question when the other asset classes can.
0: That's so beautifully put, actually. I think that shows you why he's such a good writer. It's That's so simple, but it, it actually sums it up brilliantly. There's no physical way of explaining why it hasn't done well when it's so obvious to show that the markets have gone down people can see the red and there's the Bloomberg's and CNBC's talking about the reason for it or whatever. And you can see the red across the screen and the chart going down. That's why it's, Oh, it's because Trump's done this or there's a trade war. Oh, it's nothing to do with me as a fund manager. It's to do with Trump. What's he done now? But when these other strategies don't work, there's no physical uh, or generally broadly accepted measure that you can turn to, to say this, this is why this has happened. But for the managers this is all part and parcel of the strategy and it's it's not that it's going wrong it's just this is what happens sometimes
2: these are all very good points and and it's exactly it's almost like therapy for me this because it explains <laughs> um it, it, it explains we'll send,
1: we'll send you the invoice in due course. yeah <laughs> please right. do yeah
2: i'll uh I'll, I'll, I'll send it straight back but um state state
0: of the minds podcast
2: <laughs> yeah well it, it is a bit like that and this is why you almost have to understand why are people thinking the way they're thinking why do they you know and um, they have this sort of blinkered view and and you have to sort of reverse engineer it and sort of just say well hang on a minute let's let's think about this so the regulator has jumped onto this cost sort of bandwagon about you know because of as you said tim active you you over the last 10 years if you just bought market beta for as cheaply as possible you would have done really well and so that allows the passive community to gain a lot more traction people buy into it people put too much significance on what's just happened or more recently happened than what's happened historically and so they follow this they start using more and more long only sort of passive type stuff which is fine but i think they then lose maybe the 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 forget about the the reasons why they maybe would have needed something to to protect as you said the downside and then the other thing I've noticed is they 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 get nervous of volatility. They they so when they look at an absolute return type strategy, especially in the UK, you know we have this this ridiculously named sector which is targeted absolute return. It's like, how do you, I suppose everyone targets an absolute return, but whether they get it or not is another thing. So, <laughs> um, but it, it but and it's awash wash with um, very low volatility sort of long short equity funds, and so people think. Uh, the amount of times I've had someone fire an email back to me say, you know, here's your, or here's here's your CTO, or here's any CTA for that matter, it doesn't, you know, sort of just you could just use the, the SOC gen CTA index, which is far broader, and just plot it against the target absolute return sector index and, and say, well, look, look at what the sector's done. And you're like, well, you you're really not comparing <laughs> apples with apples. We're uncorrelated. We 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 do things, we we trade more markets than the absolute return funds. We can go completely long or completely short, uh, and by that, what I mean is long, long or short of every market within a sector, so if it's stocks or bonds or whatever you want to break it down by. Um, and, and you know, a lot of um, your you sort of traditional long-short absolute return type funds—they're they're, they're quite low vol. They won't really do much in a in a crisis, and and so that's another thing I've had to talk to people about. So look, if you're genuinely uncorrelated as a fund over the longer term. Historically you're uncorrelated, then you should want it to be as volatile as you can basically stomach. And then if you if you think it's too volatile, then hold less of it. But the amount of times, you know, because some people what they'll do is they'll say, well, my lower risk investor can't stomach a fund that targets whatever volatility might be a double digit volatility. They say, although oh, you know the, the the drawdowns might scare them. Fine. Well, then hold less of it. Well,
1: you shouldn't you know say stocks something. either. Well, indeed, yeah,
2: yeah. That's the other thing, of course, because they've not. You know, I mean, they all have seen the same historical charts that we've seen, Tim. Yet, as I said, a lot of the people that have built these models, that build these fund lists that people shop from or build their portfolios from, and all the asset allocation models and all this sort of a lot of it has been um, has has become more widely available. In some cases, for free as well. Um, and they, over the last ten years, you know, and so I think this. It's no surprise, as I say, going right back to the beginning of the conversation, where you had Aimer and Kaya do these papers. Say, "Hang on, guys, that everyone's carrying these deep scars from, you know, alternatives. Call them hedge funds, if you, these, you know, hedge funds out there, and you know, using these alternatives um, back in 2008. When, you know, a lot of them blew up, and funny enough, CTS were one of the only ones that that not only you know, made a lot of money, but they didn't shut up for liquidity either. So yeah, it's just sort of bringing that to today and just saying, well, you you should want, if you, if something's extremely uncorrelated, you should want to, to everything else that you hold in your, your portfolio, then first of all, you should be saying, well, that's great. I should want some of that because it's going to perform differently to everything else in my portfolio. But then what they struggle with is is the volatility. And, and, and I sort of say to them, um, you know, all right, well, so we target 15% volatility. And that's the reason we target that is historically, that's what, the volatility of global equities has been, but, but people are only, you know, haven't really seen that for a long, for a long time, I suppose, maybe more recently, I don't know. Um, and so we, we've almost had to say, well, you know, if we, if we targeted less volatility, we'd have less of an impact to your portfolio over the longer term, basically. So you, as you say, and, and you know, so it, it's also having that discussion with people and saying to them well when it's not working being very close to the investor and saying look it's not working at the moment because of this here's a few examples whatever just just being close to people and saying to them you know we because because everyone could just pick up the phone when you've when you've made 20 percent and the market's down 20 that's the, the easiest job in the world but investors don't need you at that point they need you when when it has been more challenging and i you know i've i've read about ctas that are out there that have been there and they've got really good track record over 20 30 years and they've never raised more than a certain they've, they've sort of plateaued they've hit a certain level of AU. and the reason for that is what's happening is i i, I suspect is you know people are timing the, the cta exposure and so there's not so and that goes back to educating people on the best way to use ctas they might not listen to you of course but you've got to sort of try and drum it home again and again and again but uh, but yeah I, I just think you know over here in the, in the uk the problem we've got for the sort of retail type investor and 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 moving up to some even some of the bigger institutions is um, you know they're not sure how to use them the asset allocation models they follow don't really they sort of just clump alternatives together so have the amount of firms I've been to see and they say well we have 10% in alternatives and I go so right like, what's an alternative then property that's the first one usually and then they'll say maybe private equity through some sort of investment trust or a fund infrastructure usually an investment trust or something and then they'll say absolute return funds a lot of the low vol long short equity funds basically i was talking about and and you know that's sort of that's sort of it really very rarely do i hear you know long short credit so you sort of wonder you know you've got to hold fixed income somewhere in your portfolio because your asset allocation models tell you to but how are you going to benefit from the downside you know, if you're not going to move into cash, basically, you know, and th- th- there are other issues in the industry as well, because there's a lot of very uh, people that have got some fantastic qualifications, they have got a lot of experience. They've, you know, they've done. I mean, I learned from someone recently who's, who's done the CFA. They said to me, actually, that there's there's a chapter apparently in one of the textbooks that talks about CTAs as being one of the best diversifiers you could you could use for a portfolio.
0: In very small letters, is it or? I, I don't know. I, I'm trying, I haven't done this myself. Yeah. I haven't got enough
2: hours in the day, to be honest. But um, but I'd love to at some point. But um, mainly just to find that that chapter, or, or maybe as you say, the footnote that's somewhere in, in
0: starred and yeah, right at the back. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, yeah. With, with a risk warning, the mile long afterwards, no doubt. But um, but no. So you know, like I said, I mean, one of the reasons I, I wanted to do, you know, be on the call today was just to say, look, it it's something that's it's longer term track record. Kind of speaks for itself people haven't really needed them for the last sort of 10 years they would have been fine if they just held on to market beta not even for that long i mean you know i mean some of the corrections we've seen along the way seem to be over and done with within a month or two six weeks you know mm. but like you said paul what if it isn't now if now it is going to change and there's a lot of catalysts for that clearly it's all lining up quite nicely and a lot of people are just going to walk into it having not changed anything um, with what they 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 they've been what they've built essentially over the last uh, ten years. So yeah, so we just want to talk. We just want to, like I said, talk to people about trend following to them as much as we can about it. Not just even talking about our own strategy. Just saying to them look, this is how it all works. This is how you can use it in portfolios and and why you should use it and and so
0: on. So um, if people wanted to get in contact with you, how would they do that? Have you got a Twitter handle or email or what would be the preferred method? I.
2: If I'm honest, I got onto Twitter because of you two.
0: <laughs> well, I, I don't do and much. I, don't I just
2: how it works. It's just like
0: I just read Tim's and chuckle. That's what I do on Twitter. But yeah, well,
2: yeah. <laughs> I think what I've done is I've I've rather eagerly connected with a lot of people stuff that I've been reading recently, and I just you know it seems it seems like every minute there's something new have going on, and and I just can't keep up with it. But no, to to the best way to get in touch with us is I mean obviously with Garraway Capital Management we have a website of course um i'm on linkedin um just yanis Katsis, which is N I S, and then obviously my surname's k a t s i s so you know have a look on there i mean but you just look through Garraway capital i'm one of the you know members of the partnership anyway so um and uh, yeah very 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 happy to meet people and and talk more about it
0: what is your um, twitter handle and, you know,
2: i don't i don't have one i don't think oh, i don't oh, oh no i sure. see so, I so you're a lurker
0: is there a word for it? Well, that, uh,
2: yeah, I don't, I don't really, like I said, I literally signed up to it about um, when did we have lunch, Tim? It was, uh, I don't know, it was soon after that, basically. So um, about four weeks ago. And and I just, I, I I got it more to read things that come through as opposed to me posting anything, if you like. So uh, I tend to be more active in that regard on, on things like um, on LinkedIn. Um, I've got quite a few followers there. So I, I try and share the odd article that we've got. I mean, there was a good one actually recently I put on there, which was... um. About how buy the dip hasn't worked this year, and sort of everyone's gradually w- waking up to that fact. Um, And there's a there was a study in this article that, that sort of you know um, made reference to that. There's a couple of charts on it which are quite useful.
1: I'd li- um, like to give credit. I'd like to give credit to Paul for. I think it was STFR, was it? Paul? Oh yeah. <laughs> we were trying to popularise yeah, last year. Yeah, that's <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, <laughs> STFR. Um, yeah, sell these something rally. Sell the rally. Yeah. So hmm. yeah we that was, oh, that was
1: okay that, yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: instead of by the <laughs> by the dip PTFD. Yeah. yeah yeah <laughs> but the thing with twitter is I, I always had this theory in the early days that the the people who were on it shouldn't be and the people who should be on it weren't and then along comes tim and just sort of changes all of that so <laughs> that's, that's which i think is brilliant so well that's fantastic yeah, so I really enjoyed your, your, your comments and uh, as we traditionally do, um, we like to share media picks with people and these are picks that are either really, really good or really, really bad. So uh, it could be a book, a film or, or a news article or anything you'd want to share with people because you absolutely loved it or you really, really hated it. Yeah. Um, well that's that's uh Have you have you got something for us?
2: I, I have got several things actually. Oh really? Uh, one, oh, one, one's fantastic. a bit random. One one's a bit random. Oh, I it's love random. I use it. it's not so I travel a lot because I cover the country as I say and it's not always easy to read things um you know and we've all you when
1: you especially not when you're running. Yeah. Well, indeed. Yeah. Yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. So there's, you know, there's a lot of things I like to. I try suppose and read. audio audio books are the logical answer. To that
2: aren't Yeah. Indeed, yeah, yeah, but but sometimes you someone's got to read the audio book. This is what I mean.
0: Perhaps,
2: so, yeah. So so no, so yeah. Well, and this podcast. Well, actually, funny enough, no, yeah. Um, I, I joked with you that uh, some of the times I've been re- listening to this is when I actually do have a quiet moment when the, the children are bu- bugging me at the weekend and what have you. And uh, uh, and I've been, you know, I do listen. Uh, I've listened to quite a lot actually. But, I, know, um, I know
0: Shane you know, this, McAvoy, who was on the show, listens to it sometimes in the gym so if you're listening yeah. to it in the gym Shane there's a here's a shout out for you <laughs> he's just fallen push off the harder. treadmill push
1: harder yeah
0: <laughs> lift those
1: weights yeah <laughs> feel um, the so. burn Shane <laughs>
2: feel the burn yeah push it come on <laughs> uh, my lame attempt at an ironing accent there you go anyway no, we, the, we the...
0: got it we got it it's all right we got yeah.
2: it the, the, the app I um, would recommend, and there are probably loads of these, and some of them might even be built into your phone, I don't know. But the one I like, because it's quite user-friendly, is just called At, as in the symbol, At Voice. It's just an app that basically, once you download it onto your phone, um, if you're on a web page or you've got a, a, some sort of macro piece, a PDF, what you do is you go to, as if you were to share it with someone, so if you was to, say, share the URL through WhatsApp or on an email, this will pop up as an app. You tap it and then it opens up and then it will just read it to you.
1: Oh, so, right.
2: cool. That sounds really cool. That sounds so, great. So, can, so, can we any, get
0: it in, any, in Tim's voice so Tim can read it to us?
2: Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean... I, say, I, I want that. I'll <laughs> tell you what, complete, complete random here. You know how you can... Uh, the, the the good old days of the, the old um, Tom, Tom sat-navs, no one really bothers using them anymore because they use their phones. But when I did have one, I was in a taxi once and some guy had a his tom-tom read his directions to him in a jamaican accent which i thought was hilarious <laughs>
1: Brilliant.
2: So, so I, I went on a hunt and i thought i wonder what i could i wonder what other voices you could download and uh and if uh yeah if some of my colleagues will know this because i used to you know i tend to drive around a fair bit and uh, it used to be my one was darth vader so <laughs> 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 it was fantastic especially when you went in the wrong direction <laughs> you're, how does it used to go you used to go I find your lack of faith disturbing,
1: you know, and that would be when you not follow the direction, something like that. Yeah it,
0: was, yeah, it was fantastic. You know?
1: um, I'm just, anyway. I'm just, I'm just going to intrude with a very politically incorrect joke since, since it seems to be topical. We might so have to cut goes, this bit out. We might have to cut <laughs> this bit. So a guy goes to, to a Jamaican barber and mm-hmm. the guy says, can I have, uh, give me a haircut, please? And the guy goes, yes. He goes, no, just top of my head will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> oh dear!
0: Oh dear! <laughs> but it
2: but it wasn't so that 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 app, by the way, was not. I know it's not really a media pick, but
0: the, I know it's great. No, it's great. It can, but, can be anything, anything. So, but,
2: but, but there was there was there were two um uh, things that I, I wanted to say. Definitely, if you, you know, I know I've been listening to them before, but films or box sets or whatever. And one of the box sets I know I've I've seen, it's more a 12-hour film. You know, when they just do one, you know, one box set and that's it. There's not like five or six seasons or whatever. And it was called The Sinner.
0: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I've recommended
2: Um, that. uh, That is is fantastic. It's really good, isn't it? Really good.
0: The first season or the second season? Because I'm watching the second season.
2: I didn't realise it was a second. Season. Yeah.
0: I thought this was a- oh yeah, it's very good. The second one's really, really good.
2: Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. I, I honestly, I didn't know. It's, it must be a completely different story then, because obviously the way yeah. the first yeah. one went.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. So it's but, just,
2: they're just sort of starting a new story, effectively. Fair yeah. Enough. But okay. they,
0: but the uh, the 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 cop character, Bill Pullman, mm. he continues, and it's. Oh,
2: I see. So
0: okay. So that actually blends into what my one was going to be, but I'll but carry on. Sorry. Yeah. So, yes, definitely. Well, and
2: the, the other film I was going to say, because uh, I picked up on, um, I love thrillers, um, sort of not, not quite horror, but more sort of on the edge of your seat type stuff, you know. And um, I'm sure you guys have seen it, Quiet Place.
0: Yes. Oh, fabulous. Yes, yes. Fabulous. fabulous film.
2: Fantastic film.
0: Yeah. I
2: mean, I haven't seen something like that since, um, I think the last time I saw something that kept me that engrossed was um, Signs, Shalemann. Um, oh, really? Right. science me that was oh no there was one i forget the name of the, the film actually it was um oh god what was it called um it, it's a ridiculous storyline A, there's a, a, a deaf lady who's an authoress and she's writing a book in a log cabin you know as oh she yes, yes, yes yes
0: yes 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 hush is that called hush it,
2: yeah that's it that's yeah. it it's called hush and some maniacs outside trying yes. to get into the house yeah
0: yeah you know. but it's not as good as a quiet place
2: no. No, no 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 it's because it, it's ridiculous the story yeah, the story, yeah. It's, yeah. but it's very fun actually but
0: yeah it's a good premise it's a good premise but yeah. the quiet place is a better premise
1: yeah, definitely fantastic
0: definitely. and so tim what about what about yours
1: i'll just squeeze one in it's uh a book that i'm reading nearly finished now um it's called why we sleep the uh-huh. new science sleep and dreams by matthew walker who is a sleep scientist uh Without going into too much detail, this is the best, most interesting book I've read since Sapiens about four or five years ago. It's an absolute belter. Uh, We spend a third of our lives asleep, more or less, um, and people might say, well, why do we do it? Read this book. And and there's a paradox that happens when you read this book, because if you're reading it in bed, you'll suddenly think, my God, I, I actually need to put this down and get my sleep, because you will never look at sleep. Again, in the same way, once you've read this book, it is completely mind-blowing. The most important thing about basically how we live, and it's barely been barely been discussed. There's just one quote I'll leave with you. It's actually, I think it's a summary of it that I, that I made in this week's commentary, which I think Yanis has already read by the sound of it. So it transpires that there is a revolutionary new treatment that makes you live longer. This treatment improves your memory and enhances your creativity. It makes you look more attractive. It helps keep you slim and lowers food cravings. It protects you from cancer, dementia, and other diseases. It helps ward off colds and the flu. It lowers your risk of heart attacks and stroke, along with diabetes. It can improve your academic potential. It will help you feel happier and less anxious. It also happens to be completely free. It is sleep. You have to get this book. Why We Sleep by uh matthew walker unbelievably good really 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 interesting
0: fantastic that's that is one of the reasons why i love doing these media picks because that you'll find something so compelling um that you just have to share it thank you tim i really appreciate that that's brilliant um mine was going to be uh just very simply i know there's going to be quite a few this week so i'm just going to say the center part two i haven't finished uh or season two so i can't 100 percent say but i am absolutely loving it so far i haven't got to the end of that but i went to see bohemian rhapsody and uh being a queen fan being at live aid absolutely brilliant film really enjoyed it uh definitely worth seeing don't listen to the critics the critics have got it completely wrong everybody who sees it loves it the critics have just slammed it and they don't really understand it but what's completely ironic is they slammed bohemian rhapsody when it first came out and that's partly why I'm always contrarian. I've never wanted to go with the the broader view because like everything, like we've kind of discussed on the podcast, the the bigger view may may well be wrong. And there's there's other ways that are just slightly in the dark that are there to be discovered. And it's only when everything w- when it becomes completely obvious that people turn to them. So Bohemian Rhapsody, fantastic film. I definitely would make some time to go and see it if you can. Um, were you at Live Aid, Tim? At all?
1: No, I was actually on a flight to Japan uh, when Live Aid happened, so I was uh, I was somewhere above the uh, somewhere above the Atlantic at the time.
0: What was very interesting about Live Aid was that they weren't literally getting the money in there's that classic Bob Geldof slamming the table
1: give, give us your give us your often money
0: yeah that's right yeah that, that, was, that was that sounded a little bit Sean Connery but okay well except
1: <laughs> we, sh- we shale into history that's, uh, that's, um, that's my Sean Connery all
0: oh, right I could I, but... I
1: do this all day by the way so I wouldn't I wouldn't, I wouldn't I wouldn't let things escalate you know, oh
0: obviously. no I know now you've said that we've got to come on give us another one what's your, what's your best one?
1: I know. I know. The world's not ready. We'll, we'll okay. Try it the next time.
0: Okay. All right. We'll, we'll prepare next time. Well, maybe we should make that a new thing. Where people yeah, give, have to give do me a... your
1: address. Give me your address, dear. Sierra Connor. That's my awning. Oh come on! Come on! You, <laughs> every, everyone's got
0: Michael Kane. Come on! Do a Michael Kane.
1: Never told you to blow the bloody doors off. He says Australian that way. <laughs> <laughs> that's so bad. It's brilliant.
0: You're not supposed to blow the bloody doors off.
1: That's not bad. That's not bad, oh, yeah, is it? That's yeah. all right. Go on, It's your turn. <laughs> I'll have to follow the same thing. Um, <laughs> yeah,
2: um, you you have, know, you've got to do Michael what, Kane. What, am I doing Michael Kane? am I? Yeah,
0: everyone's got to do Michael Kane.
2: Okay. Oh, God. You're not surprised. I can't do it. No, I cannot do it. I'm sorry. I, don't, I, Michael
1: I was fucked <laughs> under the pressure.
2: <laughs> I cannot do it. I'm sorry.
0: Oh, brilliant. That's just fantastic. Well, I suppose we better end it before this gets out of hand um but you know sorry uh, it's fantastic <laughs> Look, obviously this has been a lot of fun and uh I'll, I'll be back i'll be back yes <laughs> <laughs> you started yanis you started with your arnie sorry. right yeah <laughs> it's so just, it's your to your blame to, you're Jim, to blame we can't have you up. back on the show now because you've been causing too much trouble <laughs> no we'd love to have you back it's just been absolutely brilliant really enjoyed it and for our listeners across the pond enjoying their Thanksgiving turkey, uh, you know, here's a shout-out for you. Have a peaceful, wonderful Thanksgiving. And to all our listeners, thank you so much for listening. We, as we always say, we really, really do appreciate it. And uh, you know, thank you for all your comments and likes and subscribes. And we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you, Yanis. Bye. Thank you, Tim. Take care. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.